Hey guys, it's Ellen Olson Brown with the Sun in My Face podcast, and this is episode 10 of season four. Episode 10 means this is going to be a shiny people interview. So every 10th episode, I interview a regular, uh, possibly non-famous, but notably wonderful person. I interview someone who is known by their friends, families, co-workers for being wonderful. The kind of people you're simply glad to be around, who ease or brighten or enliven the atmosphere in a room when they arrive, who inspire you to be a better version of yourself. They could be people with certain talents and achievements, and they might have rough edges or a history of screw-ups or be the kind of people who rub some people the wrong way. But they are fundamentally and impressively in some way really good at being human beings around other human beings. They shine. Something about them shines. Hence, shiny people interviews. So interestingly, this is the fourth interview I've done. And um, I've now done interviews with two people who I knew very well before I spoke with them and two people who I'd never spoken with before and in fact had only done very minimal emailing with on purpose. I wanted to, for the people who um, have been nominated from the outside, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second, uh, nominated by my listeners, I wanted to be getting to know the interviewee at the same time that the listener is. So I actually didn't want to have much background information besides the little bit that's given to me in the nominating process. Um, And it is super fun for me to do these interviews with people who I love and admire and want the world to know more about. It's interesting to do an interview and kind of have a sense of where I might want to steer our conversation. But I love this process of having a conversation and getting to know this person at the same time that you are getting to know them. It's, um, it's just fun. It's like getting a mystery box and unwrapping it and having really no idea what's going to be on the inside. And so far I could have stayed in the conversation much longer than I did there. The conversations are turning out to be about an hour, which if you're used to listening to the short version of this podcast, maybe those are too long, But um, that's how the conversations are going. And I am enjoying the process. It turns out I'm in charge of the podcast. So that's the way I'm going to keep doing them. So um, I will give you more information at the end of the podcast about nominating somebody if you would like to very briefly. If you visit my website, ellenolsonbrown.com, under the podcast link, you will find a place where you can nominate somebody. So... um, I would love it if you did that. Today's interview is with Kurt Mead. Um, I'm not going to tell you anything about him because you're going to find out. Uh, He was nominated by his cousin, Jocelyn Palaja. And I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. I know I did. I learned stuff. um, And again, I just felt like I made another friend. All right, enjoy the interview, and I will be back at the very end just with a couple of reminders. All right, talk to you soon. Hey, Kurt. Hello, Ellen. It's really nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. And I really like your hat. Well, thank you. It's uh, 38 degrees outside right now at the end of May. 
and uh, we're too stubborn to get a fire going tonight, so it's going to be cold. Well, hopefully we'll keep the conversation nice and warm and cozy, and um, yeah, so actually, where are you that it's 38 degrees? I'm in Finland, Minnesota, Okay. which is on the north shore of Lake Superior, uh, just a few miles off of Lake Superior um, in the northeastern part of Minnesota. So are you, so you're not in Duluth? Not in Duluth at all, no. We're probably close to an hour and a half away from Duluth. We're farther, farther northeast from Duluth. Okay. I should, um, I mean, the, the people who are listening to this might either know or not know the people I'm about to talk about, but I just um, taught a yoga class with two of um, you, perhaps your favorite Duluth people, your mother. Yes. <laughs> was in my class and also your cousin Jocelyn, who I'm going to have something to say about in a minute. So yeah. And I remember Jocelyn saying that it was going to be like 80 one day this week and then 40. Yep. <laughs> so we had that last weekend, it was 85 on Saturday and it was, we had a high of about 39 on Sunday. Wow. Have, did you grow up in Duluth? No, I grew up in a, on a little farm down in the Southeastern corner of the state. Down okay. in the Luxton Valleys of the uh, of the Driftless area, and uh, went to college in Duluth, and sort of got the north in my in my veins. Then. Uh huh. And so, and, did your did your parents follow you up there? Yeah, actually, my two brothers also went to school in in Duluth. Mm -hmm. um, I have a sister who did not, but the three Mead boys all went to school in, in Duluth. And then uh, went our separate ways, and then all ended up back here in one sh shape or form. And when my parents were ready to sell the farm, they were looking for a lake place, some place to um, for grandkids to play in the water and lake mm -hmm. cabin sort of feel to it. And they were looking all over the state. We had to kind of have a family intervention and let them know that they really should be looking at areas closer to their grandchildren. <laughs> and so they, they have a place outside of uh, Duluth as well. Oh, that's great. And I seem to remember that your your mother uh, runs something in the summer called Camp Grandma. Yep, Grandma Camp. Yeah. <laughs> grandma, camp Grandma, Grandma Camp. Um, it's getting harder and harder to do because all the grandkids are getting to be adults now. Right. But uh, my dad is involved with it as well. So it's not just not just her they both do it but somehow it's been just called camp grandma she gets yeah. all she gets all the glory i guess yeah, she does <laughs> well i really appreciate you being a part of this conversation and um there will have been an intro at the beginning of this but just to just to remind you um i love listening to interviews and i realized that uh at a certain point that even though it's really fascinating, like most interviews that you end up having access to are interviews with people who uh, have done something publicly very remarkable, you know, that, um, you know, either they've accomplished something or, uh, you know, had some kind of grand success or fame. And that's really interesting to hear more about. But um, I so appreciate you being willing to do this interview because what I realized I was really interested in was learning more about people who tend to affect the people around them in a way that feels special to the people who are being affected. Mm -hmm. So um, 
in a couple of, after a couple more questions of just kind of getting to know you, I'm going to read you the quote that Jocelyn sent me, your cousin Jocelyn, yep. um, about you. And we'll kind of kick off that portion of the interview from there. But um, I have a couple of questions just so that we can kind of get a little bit more oriented. So we know you're in Minnesota. And um, this is a really important one so that we can just start to get a sense of who you are. How do you like your toast? I like my toast not burnt. Okay. But fairly dark. And right, I like so, it. I like it cut thick. Okay, so the bread thick, the toast dark but not burnt. Is there a lot so there there's like a, a moment that where the toast has to be caught? Oh oh yeah, yeah. And if you have a little burnt corner, that's fine. But okay. But it can't be all burnt or or go through the chicken. Oh, okay. You have chickens. We have chickens, yeah. Well, it's good that there's like some place. Do you sometimes have to do two or three drafts of the toast before you get it right? Or would you scrape off the burnt? I got it dialed in pretty good right now. <laughs> I, I know my machine pretty well. That's excellent. And then what, what goes on the toast when it comes out perfect? Way too much butter. <laughs> that's, that's key. You, you could end up you know, putting some peanut butter on top of that or jelly or something like that. But the key part is a lot of melted butter on the toast it's got to go on when the toast is hot you can't and let the toast cool down like on a cold night like tonight would you uh, would you pre-treat the butter so that it was soft or it's just that the the toast is going to absorb the butter regardless the toast, of the toast should be hot enough to take refrigerator cold butter and liquefy it okay i'm glad Again, you have... cut thick. The, the bread is cut thick so it can handle it it's not like it's going to rip correct okay all right. Well, I'm looking forward to coming and having toast at your house sometime because that's how I, I like do it like too. Toast. toast is one of the rare things that adds no value whatsoever to the food that we have. I mean, it adds no nutritional benefit whatsoever. If, if you're cooking meat, you know, you're protecting yourself from bacteria or pathogens. If you cook vegetables, it's to soften them so they're not quite so hard and chewy. Um, but what is toast? Why why do we make toast? Toast just caramelizes sugars and changes the flavor of something, but it doesn't actually cook anything. True, but maybe that maybe that changing. I mean, you have strong opinions about it. Like it's a delight, clearly to eat. Oh yeah. So maybe even maybe that's its value, right? And maybe those little uh, carbonized pieces, like people are some people brush their teeth now with charcoal, so. Uh, it could be that the carbon is good for you, I guess. Be good. <laughs> okay, so your um, your kitchen table is empty except for three items, and your family walking into the room immediately knows that you were the last person at the kitchen table. What are those three items? Oh. Um. Um, toast and whiskey and ice. <laughs> I have a feeling the toast is going to come up a lot during this conversation. Like toast. <laughs> Good. I really hit on one of your sweet spots. What are a few things that you've spent the most time doing during the last week? During the last week, um, I've been working my job. That takes up quite a bit of time. I'm currently on my weekend. I have a weird Thursday, Friday, weekend, because Memorial Day weekend's coming up, and I work the weekends that are holidays, especially. 
Um, so a lot of work, but today with my first of my, this is my Saturday, I spent all day in the garden. I'm a gardener and, and I'm behind schedule and trying to catch up a little bit. And you have a short, a short season. We have a short growing season, but we've all figured out what grows well here and what doesn't and raise accordingly. And yeah, we're in a climate where tomatoes don't always ripen mm -hmm. outdoors. So do you not plant a lot of tomatoes or do you? I don't do too much. I always, I always get suckered into plant, planting a few plants. And then sometimes we end up bringing in 30 or 40 pounds of green tomatoes to ripen in the fall indoors. Mm -hmm. which isn't a whole lot of fun because then they start rotting and then the fruit flies get into them and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So I don't yeah. put a lot of emphasis on tomatoes. What do you put emphasis on? What's, what's the best, what, like, what do you love to grow that works? One of my favorite things to grow is uh, a variety of corn. And it's what colloquially might be called Indian corn. And it mm -hmm. truly is. It's, uh, it's a variety that was established on an island in a lake in Minnesota by the Ojibwa people hundreds of years ago. And, and it's still being grown today. And I got a hold of some of that seed and it's really acclimated to our environment. We have a hard time growing corn up here because of the short season, but this is, this is corn that was, that was acclimated, that was designed built to live in this climate. And is it corn that, is it like sweet corn or is it, like, do you dry nope. it or what do you dry do? it? Dry it. They're multicolored kernels, so mm -hmm. every color under the rainbow. Um, and we dry it, and it's a hard flint corn, um, which makes a nice grinding corn for making cornbread or corn mush or something like that. Do you grind it yourself? Yep. We've got a grinder that hooks onto our KitchenAid mixer. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. They make all sorts of appliances, and so we get the grinder and, and uh, grind fresh fresh flour when we can. Bread baking is kind of one of my things. Oh, that's amazing. So, so you just like, after, after you've harvested it and dried it, so you freshly ground, grind it when you're going to make something with it? Yeah. 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 Oh, do it's you good. make toast? <laughs> do you, do you make bread and then toast it from the corn that you grew? Yeah. There's a type of bread called Anadama bread that uses mm -hmm. a lot of corn, cornmeal that, that I make on occasion that, is a good toasting bread. I told you it was going to keep coming back to toast. I know it. I know it. If you I'm answer that right. question with enthusiasm, it becomes like the the gravitational center of, of the whole conversation. Um, can, when you said uh, that you you spent time at your at your work and that you're on the weekend right now, can you say a little bit more about what that work is? Yeah, I'm a naturalist, an interpretive naturalist at Pettigrew State Park. So I'm one of the one of the naturalists at state parks in Minnesota, doing programs with the public when there's not a pandemic going on. Wow, this must have been an been interesting a long year. year for that. Can yeah. you can you say a little bit about like what kind of a typical day would be like for you in non-pandemic times, and then how it changed this year? Yeah, it's pretty seasonal. So summertime, it's a lot busier, but we still have a lot of visitation in the winter as well. But Typical summer week would have me teaching between five and 10 different programs um, throughout the week, developing new programs. Uh, I usually have an intern. We don't, we have, we're not doing them last year or this year just because of the pandemic. 
Um, and then there's a lot of other duties as assigned. So stuff comes up and, and someone's got to do it. So we just do it. Mm -hmm. What are the programs about? What are you teaching? Mostly people? about the animals and the landscape where we live here. So we're right next to Lake Superior. It's a pretty unique habitat, pretty unique environment. Uh, the largest, largest inland lake in the world. Um, that, that's where, that's where a lot of our cold weather comes from is a breeze off the lake can drop our temperatures pretty fast. Yep. Um, but I talk a lot about the animals that I enjoy. I've got a, a whole sort of pelt collection and a skull collection. And I like to talk about the, the different teeth that, that um, herbivores, omnivores, carnivores have. You know, that, that, would, that would be an example of uh, sort of a quick we call them nature carts where you just kind of um sit in one place and people come to you and they interact with you for five minutes and then they go off and then you do it again for the next group mm -hmm. but then i lead hikes and i do skills programming like fire making skills and rope making um different skills like that okay so i have to tell you that that we're going to jump way ahead because one of the questions that i often ask at the end of the interview is are you good at building fires? Ah, I'm very good at building fires. So are you one of those people who could build a fire like, you know, you've got nothing with you and you can do the flint and... I can do flint and steel very easily. Um, um, bow and drill I could probably pull off if I found the right resources. Okay. Do the bow and drill kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I've studied and practiced a lot of different fire starting methods, just kind of in my line of work. And um, when I've done my own recreation, I'll pack my lighter in the bottom of the pack and put my foot and steel kit on top so that it's a hassle to get the lighter. So even if it's raining or something like that, I'm gonna grab the foot and steel and persevere and get that darn fire going. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, is there something, I mean, it seems like doing that kind of work, like you obviously have a, a kind of like natural, natural interest in it. Um, but it seems like it could end up feeling like, uh, you know, that, you, that it's like a little show that you do and there are the different things that you hit and you tell people about. Are there, are there things that you've learned about the world around you, like recently that, are super fascinating to you? Like, do you keep finding new things to be interested in and talk about? Uh, yeah, yes, but I also like getting deeper and deeper into topics that I'm otherwise conversant in. Like mm -hmm. the other day, I, I found out that I had a um, group that I was gonna talk to about antlers and about moose and about the decline of the moose population in our state, and I, I didn't know that the lifespan of a moose, someone asked me the lifespan of the moose, how long do they live for? And I didn't know. And that was just, that was just fine. I don't have to know everything. Right. Someone, someone else in the audience looked it up on their phone and said, 25 years. And there you have it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a little factoid, a little nugget that I learned just recently that moose can live to be 25 years old. So how, why is the population declining? It's mostly climate change. It's a combination of things. Um, White-tailed deer have moved in and they brought in a 
a brain parasite, a brain worm. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's two words that should never go together, brain yeah. and worm. Right. Um, that lives full life cycle and doesn't harm white-tailed deer. But when it gets into moose or an animal like caribou, um, they're done for. And with our warmer winters, that's our thing. Our summers aren't really getting much warmer. We're getting more extreme weather events. Um, but we're not getting warmer in the summer. But our winters are getting significantly warmer. Mm-hmm. which to some people sounds like good news, but in reality, it's, it's, it imperils a lot of things. And then the white-tailed deer do a lot better. They breed a lot more when the temperatures are um, warmer in the winter. They don't have as much cold stress. Whereas the moose are just fine at 40 below. They have no problem with that whatsoever. Uh, white-tailed deer really struggle during those times and so there's more opportunity for that brain worm to get spread yeah and there's there's some other factors as well that go into the whole thing but i, I could i could talk for an hour on that subject i have a question that's you know maybe a little bit political but if do you ever have people i mean you must end up talking about climate change pretty often because it seems like it would be affecting so many of the different like ecosystems and animals. And do you ever, um, have you ever had people challenge you when you're giving that kind of explanation and how do you handle that? I just say I follow the science that the Department of Natural Resources in our state is a science-based organization. Mm -hmm. And this is what science tells us that we have a warming climate and that it's due to extra carbon in the environment and that that source is primarily fossil fuel. Um, and they can say whatever they want after that, but uh, that's, that's kind of my spiel. Um, I follow right. the science. It's, it's interesting, because I think that, um, you know, like I live in a suburb of Boston and, mm-hmm. and we've seen some things really change here. Like when I was growing up, there were, I never saw a live turkey and now, they're everywhere. And uh, we have, you know, bears walking through our neighborhood and, um, you know, like there's things that we see changing definitely. But I think there's something about like the way that, that you're connecting with the world around you that is so much, it's on such a more like subtle and intense level. You know what I mean? Where like, like my life is basically like, it's not that I'm not spending time in nature, but like I noticed these little changes, but um, you know, when like when you talked about the deer and the moose, there's something about that that's just so heartbreaking. You know, that's like, and you, then you realize like, oh, that's happening on the level of plants and you know microbial organisms and like so much is yeah, and it's all related to each other, obviously. So yep. Yep. yeah, so important, but like heavy work that you're doing at the same time, like kind of emotionally intense it seems like it could be yeah yeah i mean i i'm aware that when i'm speaking to a crowd that there may be somebody in the audience that's not on the same page and i don't i'm not a confrontational person i don't, i avoid confrontation like it's like it's covid <laughs> <laughs> but um but we got to have those conversations sometimes yeah no it's 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 true and i also imagine that you are you know, 
helping some people, like maybe especially kids and people who might be very receptive to hearing what you're saying, um, maybe make some decisions about their life that they'll head in a direction where they're trying to do something to help solve the problem. So, Right. And that's a struggle of mine is how do I spin it in a positive way? I mean, I don't want to be all doom and gloom all the time. Right. You know, the world's going to hell and we're going with it and all that kind of stuff. But you got to got to try and spin it, give a positive spin to it somehow. Um, some some sort of action, something that people can do. Um, otherwise, it's all just doom and gloom. Right. Yeah, I live the town that I live in. We there's a river in our town, the Nashua River, and it was um, super polluted because there were all these mills along it all through New Hampshire and Massachusetts, and um, you know just everything was getting dumped into it, and there were shopping carts and cars, and you know it was and it was you couldn't swim in it. Animals were not surviving in it, and um, a local woman organized you know, it basically made it her life work to clean up the river. And I feel like there's something about like, we don't have a lot of success stories yet. You know what I mean? Like, it seems like we're in that, like, like there's something about being able to turn to this woman when we're talking about like cleaning up the environment and saying like, look what people can do when they organize and get together and look how now there's rope swings over the river and kids jumping into it. And Um, and I feel like one of the tricky things with climate change right now is that, uh, you know, we're trying to put on the brakes, but we're not really, there, there aren't a lot of those super inspiring stories yet. Um, and so what you're telling people is true, but I can also totally understand like wanting to give people some kind of little like acorn they can take and plant, yep. you know? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Well, wow. Super. I like, I could talk to you about this the whole time. But um, we're going to move on to uh, when I ask people to nominate somebody to be a part of this conversation. Um, Jocelyn said this, and actually, I'm going to tell you something she said. I hope it's going to be okay with her. It's not going to like make family members feel mad at her, but um, this is what she wrote. Kurt is my cousin. Kurt is my cousin. He's a park ranger, naturalist, and one of my favorite talkers. If I'd had him teaching me science and about the outdoor world, I might have become passionate about those at a young age. Also, he lives in a log home he built himself. Also, this is what Jocelyn didn't write this, but uh, she did say it. You know, holidays are not Jocelyn's favorite thing, but she says that whenever there's a holiday event, she always tries to uh, sit near you so that she Uh can talk to you the whole time. (laughs) So one of my questions is, um, does that ring true to you? Like, does her description feel accurate? I'm, I'm not much of a navel gazer. Um, mm-hmm. it's, I, I don't take, it was very on, I was very honored to hear what she wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have a hard time hearing positive things about myself it's just a quirk well actually it's interesting it's enough of a quirk for enough of us that it kind of leads to the next question which is what your relationship is to praise i secretly love it but (laughs) but it makes me uncomfortable at the same time Mm -hmm. and how does that discomfort play out 
Um, a lot of toe scratching in the dirt and looking at my knees and yeah, whatever. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. How how about criticism? What's your react? What's your relationship with criticism? I'm I'm often open to criticism just because I know that I'm just a person and I'm I don't know everything and I may have done done or said something that was wrong and I'm open to that but I also um, I also don't internally I don't deal with it very well I get stressed out by it are Even you, I, might, I might acknowledge that the, that the criticizer has, a, has an important point. It, the criticism itself bugged me for a while. Yeah. Even, even if there's truth to it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, are you motivated by looking for praise or avoiding blame or like criticism? I would think that's probably true on both points. Yeah. I mean, I, I like I said, I'm, I'm out, I'm outwardly uncomfortable with praise, but inwardly I really crave it. I suppose we all do. Mm -hmm. um, and and yeah, I try to avoid, like I said before, try to avoid confrontation or blame or or, or any anything along those lines. I avoid them. How about if you're criticized for something and it doesn't like it hits you as wrong? You know, like there's that kind of feedback where you might be like, oh yeah, they have a point. And what if, what if you're being criticized and you're just like. I'm a grudge holder. <laughs> <laughs> so I would, I would probably hold a grudge against that person for a while. Fair. That's a yeah. fair response. Yeah. I, part of the reason I think these conversations are so interesting for me is because we're always putting together a story about another person. Do you know what I mean? Like we're always like, oh, they're kind of like this and they're kind of like this. And, um, and you, you, like you come across as very steady and I think you are like, I'm not, I'm not criticizing you and telling you that you're not steady, <laughs> but, um, but it's just funny because sometimes like you'll categorize somebody and, and be like, oh, they would probably never have that negative feeling, but like, um, yeah, grudges. Mm. Yeah, I got a problem with those. I actually do too. I'm, I'm like having a little bit of a project right now where I'm trying to, uh, you know, there's that whole idea that like, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a Buddhist story about two arrows. And one is that like, if somebody, if you get shot with an arrow, like that hurts. But then if you like spend all your time thinking about that thing that happened and kind of nursing that grudge, it's like you've just stuck a second arrow into yourself. Yeah. Um, and I've been trying to think a lot about like, how do you, all right, I'm going to ask you this as a question because maybe you have some good advice for the rest of us. Like, do you have any um, methods, tricks for de-escalating an inner grudge? Um, it usually comes down to seeing, trying, making a conscious effort to eventually see things from the other person's point of view. I was yeah. trying to step out of myself and be like, if, uh, if this person was having a conversation with a friend of theirs about this conflict, 
what would they be saying? How, how would they be communicating that? Because um, that would probably, probably be telling as to why the issue came up in the first place. Wow. Is that, have you always been like that? Like, was that something you could do as a kid? Um, no, I don't think so. It's probably more of an adult thing. Do you think it's something that you kind of figured out on your own or like through relationships and friendships or like, cause that's, that seem I mean, that seems like such great advice and very wise and a little bit Zen <laughs> and, and awesome if you can do it. But like, how did that, how did that become a part of what you, one of your strategies might be? I'm, I'm, I'm a fairly empathetic person, mm-hmm. I have natural empathy. Um, and I think that comes from the fact that, um, that especially as a kid and a little bit now as an adult, I stutter. And as a kid who stuttered, you, you really saw when other people were being picked on because you were the one that was being picked on for your thing. And so it gave me a lot of empathy I think, and even even empathy for those that that might be the bullies. Mm-hmm. Um, what's going on in their family life? What's going on in their homes? So maybe it is maybe it is something I developed younger. I'm not sure. Wow. Do you you know what's interesting? I've I've never. I mean, I don't pick up on that with you, and it's also something that I, that I've never actually noticed with Joe Biden when I listen to him talk. But is it something? Do you pick up on his? Oh yeah. When you listen to him, you do. Yeah. Oh yeah. We're those of us that stutter know all the ways to get around a, a some consonant or something that you're going to get stuck on, and uh, you're. I think stutterers probably have larger vocabularies than non-stutterers because you've got to substitute words all the time because you can you can feel a block coming up, so you got to kind of change the direction. And Joe Biden does that all the time. So, and, and that's what partly reads from him as like maybe searching for words in a way that people think, oh my gosh, that's so, I never thought about that as being a workaround and yeah. that you could actually kind of feel that, that this thing was coming up. And so my, my mother, most I mean, have, well, I was my, just going to say most, most shutters have consonants that are hard for them. Um, and so and, and I can I can feel them coming up. I can feel them coming. And and instead of saying Minnesota, I have a tr- trouble with M's sometimes. Mm-hmm. I will say our state. Oh, that's so. And do you just do it kind of automatically? Yeah, it happens like, very quickly. And so you're are you almost like see my my mother had a stroke nine years ago and she uh, her mind is completely there, but familiar words are very hard for her. Like the, the more familiar a word, the more she knows you, the harder it is to say your name. And so, so the other day she was trying to say, she had to have an injection and she was looking for the alcohol wipe. And she, and she had these words that were coming up that were just like, that had nothing to do with it, you know? And then she finally was able to say isopropyl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, she couldn't, the word alcohol was like, she just couldn't grab it. And so I see her do that those, those interesting workarounds, but for her, it's, I mean, it's just amazing what your brain can do. Yeah. Um, that is really, really interesting. Um, and I think also that idea of, I remember at one point 
I have two boys who are 20 now, but when they were like, and they've gone through, they've gone through plenty actually, probably since I made this wish for them. But I remember at one point when they were like seven or eight and thinking about just how cushy and wonderful their life had been. And like our family life is pretty nice. And, you know, we like, they have, they hadn't had a lot of challenges in their life. And both my husband and I had at very early ages, and we both identify our senses of empathy as having roots in some of what we experienced. And I remember, it's not that my kids weren't kind, but I remember thinking, wow, I hope, I kind of hope they have some challenges. So yeah, that, yeah. you know, cause I th- it's, it's a tricky thing. You never want to see somebody suffer and yet feeling something is, you know, being able to tap into that sense of kind of pain and recognizing it in other people is a real benefit for the people around you, you know? So, um, what, what bothers you about people? I know we've already talked about grudges, so. Grammar. (laughs) I'm one of those. Okay. Like written grammar, especially, or also spoken? Also spoken. Okay. Any like Um, particular pet peeves? Um, instead of I have seen to say I I seen I seen a moose. Uh-huh. I have trouble with that one. Um, the the difference between lesser and fewer. It's lesser is a. Anyways, the difference the difference is there, and people misuse lesser and fewer mm-hmm. all the time. Lesser mm-hmm. is a volume, and fewer is a quantity. Do you correct people? I try not to. <laughs> if they do it too much, do you hold a grudge? <laughs> no, I get used to it. Oh, okay. You just like adjust for it. Yes. Um, how about, okay, here's a hard one. How about the whole like uh, lie, lay, lane? Like, how about when people use lie and lay? Does that rise to the level of? That one I don't have completely figured out myself. So no, I don't hold that against anyone. I I have a friend who told me that her father was like, it was one of his total pet peeves. And mm. so she knew it. She was like, she knew exactly the right ones to yep, use. Yep, yep, yep. And when I would be around that family, I was, first of all, I was like, I, I don't know because everybody misuses it. And so part of how you understand it is what you hear. And I, just be like, I have no idea what's right or wrong. And, but I teach yoga and um, there's a, in the style of yoga that I teach the most, you're constantly doing a pose and then having people lie down um, to take a savasana. And so finally I looked it up and memorized it. And it's lie. it's, I know that it's lie down yeah. is like, is what you do. So, but that's a tricky one. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, I hear you on that. It's, it's a tough, tough one what what are things you especially love about people like if you go to some kind of gathering where you don't know people um what kind of people are you are you looking for to appreciate being in conversation with i avoid the drunks Uh uh-huh not that i don't drink but i avoid the drunks at at your at your uh, hypothetical dinner party there okay um, I mean, you also might not like gatherings, 
So you don't have to accept my. Right. Well, I'm, I'm kind of an introvert um, socially. So I would probably just sort of wander around until a group stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Just sort of trial around one group, kind of stand there with a drink in my hand and a little plate of appetizers and, and see if I click with that group. And if not, then I'd move on to another group. That's kind of the way I do it. And who do you tend to click with? Like what, what qualities do you love in other people? I guess in your hypothetical situation, it would be somebody that would be interested in interacting with me, the new person that nobody else knows. Uh-huh. Um, that so would but be like a sense of curiosity in other people and yeah. welcoming. Yeah, that would be, that would be, that would make me feel more comfortable. Mm-hmm. I think. How about in people who you admire, who maybe you wouldn't, you know, maybe you come into contact with, but maybe you don't like, it doesn't have to involve social interaction, but like what kind uh, of- people? On the social side of things, I'm amazed at people who can do small talk well. I uh-huh. don't do small talk very well. I mean, I can talk for hours on certain subjects, but I, I, if I got nothing to talk about, I got nothing to talk about. I don't do small talk well. And it's only gotten worse this past year as we've all been sequestered away. Um, but what do I admire about people? I admire passion. I'm, I'm big on passion. If someone's got a passion for something, I want to know what it is and what, what makes them so passionate about it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really matter what the subject is? like. Oh, correct. Yeah, if they're passionate about it, I want to hear about it. That is really cool. I'm kind of that way about dragonflies. Dragonflies are kind of my jam. Well, tell us more about dragonflies. Uh, I could go, again, again, I could go for hours on, on that one, but we'll go for a few are, minutes. Yeah. Um, um, I just got fortunate as a young naturalist to encounter somebody who was into dragonflies and mentored me a little bit, kind of lit the fire, got the fire going. And then I took off with it and was fortunate enough to be able to write a book on dragonflies uh, and really? a, a field guide. Yeah. Dragonflies of the Northwoods. That uh, and then that that book won uh, the National Outdoor Book Award prize in the field guide category in two thousand five or something. Well, congr- well, I'm sorry, yeah. we we weren't going to talk to famous people in this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I'm just really passionate about them. So what, what, tell us a few things that would make us feel a little bit of that passion. Well, there's, there, I see them as, there's the term charismatic megafauna that talk about elephants and Cape buffaloes and giraffes and things like that. And I, I use the term charismatic microfauna to talk mm-hmm. about dragonflies, things like that, butterflies, um, some of the bigger, bigger bees, people notice them. They decorate their homes with symbols of them. You know, there's there's dragon dragonfly embossed everything out there, mm-hmm. um, and so I I see them as a they're they're very popular outside even the science of them. People attach religious significance to a visit by a dragonfly stuff like that. If you were trying to, if you were like doing. A- one of your carts and it was about dragonflies how would you rope people in like what what's something that 
I mean, I feel like now that you're saying it, I'm like, I don't really know anything about dragonflies. I mean, I know they're an insect. I know what they mm-hmm. look like. I kind of know how they move, but. Having live specimens is always a draw. So if I can go out and net a few live ones that I can release later, mm-hmm. um, if I've got live insects sitting on a little table, people are going to, especially kids, are going to come right over to look at those bugs up mm-hmm. close. Is there something like that's uh, that would surprise a, a dragonfly um, neophyte? Yeah, yeah, I've got some, I've got some fun facts. Okay, tell us a few fun facts. Mm-hmm. So dragonflies spend most of their life underwater as nymphs. Okay. So they live underwater. They're a water bug. What um, do they look like when they're a nymph? They look like a little. Some people refer to them as like looking like little beetles. They're little six-legged, um, sometimes fuzzy, sometimes smooth. Um, they come in all, all sorts of different shapes and sizes depending on the species. Um, one species we have up here called the dragon hunter um, is thought to spend seven years underwater before it becomes an adult for six weeks. That's pretty cool. But yeah, that nymphs, is really cool. The nymphs underwater, here's, here's my favorite dragonfly fact ever. The nymphs underwater, they have their gills inside their abdomen, and they don't breathe through their mouths, they breathe through their butts. So they inhale, I mean, they inhale water through their butts, and then they, the gills are in there, and they extract the oxygen out, and then they exhale through their butt. Okay, now there is a fact that's going to draw every seven-year-old boy in a hundred-mile radius. When I have a bunch of kids, I, you know, if I'm talking about that, I'm like, so, so have you ever played that game? What's your superpower? You know, you could have invisibility or flight or something like that. I think you should consider maybe, you know, the superpower of being like a dragonfly and you could. You Read through your butt. You could squirt water out of your butt and be jet propelled. <laughs> oh, they also squirt water out of their butt? Yeah. Or is that yeah. part of the breathing process? That's part of the breathing process. They inhale, they inhale water, like just like a fish. And they have gills, much like a fish, that extract the oxygen from it. And so that when they're inhaling, they're inhaling water. And when they're exhaling, they're exhaling water. And it jets the, and it move, it may physically move when they exhale. And they, and they can they, they can jet propel that way. Yeah. And do all of them have this seven year cycle? Like is no, it most of them are one or two years. Uh-huh. I always think it's so interesting, like, you know, with the cicadas that are coming out. Yeah, yeah. Um is it the cicadas? Is that yeah, what's coming up? Like the 17 year? Yep. I feel like it's so interesting how we're, you know, we're so attached to the yearly cycle, like monthly and yearly, but like what, what is it that allows the, I mean, it must be some kind of chemical clock or something in them that allows them to know that multiple years have gone by and it's time for everything to, for like their big cycle to happen again. It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, it's mind-boggling. Yeah. Hey, can I ask you a question? Just because I, I have actually never learned about this scientifically. I've only learned about it as a metaphor for human spiritual growth. But is it true that caterpillars, when they like they build their chrysalis and that they literally like dissolve on the inside? They turn and then to goo. Kind of, yeah. So and then they reconstitute themselves. Yeah. Yeah, they turn to goo and then they reconstitute into the adult form. That is, I think that's amazing. Yeah, I, can't, I can't even, I can't even imagine that. Little, I mean, I've watched it. I've seen it. 
Yeah. I've had monarch caterpillar chrysalises around, and I've seen them go to adulthood, but uh, it still doesn't make any sense to me. Right. And don't you think it's amazing that, like, if you think about, I mean, any butterfly, but like a monarch with all the markings and, and everything, and that not only is it, not only are like the the elements coming together the way that they need to, but also that like those wings are in there like folded up in a way where they can come out and be in a plane like that. Yeah. Do do the dragonfly nymphs do something like that or did they yeah. just kind of sprout new parts? Well, they, they don't dissolve into goo. They, they have incomplete metamorphosis which means they don't have the pupil stage, the chrysalis or cocoon stage, mm -hmm. um, which is where the goo part happens. Um, so they just they just continue to grow from a very small nymph to a larger, larger, larger nymph, shedding their skin every time. And then when they hit that final stage, their wings are fully developed inside these little envelopes, these little sheaths. And then um, um, when they emerge out of the water, they pull those wings out of those little sheaths and pump them full of blood and they expand out. Uh, and are the wings growing all along so that little by yep. little, like with every phase? Yep. That's a cool compare contrast too, because, you know, with, with human, I mean, again, I'm going to use the word spiritual development, like in psychological development too, that like sometimes growth is incremental like that. And sometimes yeah. it is that you have to become a complete mess before you yeah. can become the next thing that you're supposed to be. And hopefully you're wrapped, you're wrapped in gold while you're being a mess, <laughs> like, <Exactly. laughs> like a monarch. Um, Kurt, what are some things that you do in your life right now that let you show up with the strengths that you have? Like in terms of like routines or things that you make sure to do or things that you avoid? Hmm. Besides toast. Besides toast. Um, um, gardening is a big part of my summer. Um, I do a lot of ice fishing in the wintertime. Um, just those getting outdoors when everyone's staying indoors. There's a kind of a, uh, there's a pleasure in that that I get. Um, what else? I'm, I'm kind of a crafter. I make wooden spoons and um, little Swedish butter knives, that kind of thing. And did you build your house? Uh, we did everything but the log work. Uh -huh. so we had we had a professional do the log work and then um, hired a carpenter friend uh, to help. And uh, he and I built, built the rest of it in six months. You know, um, when I was a kid, my absolute obsession was Little House on the Prairie. And so, and I went to college actually with Jocelyn in, in Northfield. And okay. like, I was like, oh, I finally made it to Minnesota. Uh-huh, well, my girl. <laughs> right, and so the fact that you like live in a log cabin and, you know, you grind your own corn and I feel like you're living the dream. <laughs> well, it's, there's a lot of things coming together that are making this possible. Yeah. Are you, do you have like daily routines? Like, are you a person who kind of wings it through the day or do you? Oh, have... I totally wing it. I'm not a planner. I'm not a planner. I don't, I've just got my garden tilled and I got a few plants that I bought at a local nursery in, mm -hmm. but I, I need to get my garden in within the next week or so in order to kind 
kind of meet the deadline for the season. Mm -hmm. I don't even have seeds yet. So I'm going to make see if our little local cooperative has seeds that I can buy tomorrow. See how it'll so, go. Yeah, I don't plan. Do you get up at the same time every day? Um, for the most part, it only takes me about 12 minutes to get ready for work. So, uh -huh. um, so yeah, I get up at the same time every day. But you don't do like, but getting ready for work is pretty much like, like you don't have like a morning routine or like nope. things that you do. It's get up and get out there. Get up, get a little food, brush my teeth, go. Sounds good. Yeah. Do you, do you watch, do you watch TV or like movies or things like that? Yeah. My wife and I get into binging, binging shows sometimes. Is there something good you're watching right now or um, recently? We've been watching a series called Shadow and Bone. Oh. It's more of a fantasy series, which is more up my wife's alley, but um, I'm enjoying it as well. It's a good, good story of kind of an alternate world. Um, um, one, one show that we binged on DVD years ago was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I've never watched that, but huge Buffy that... fans here. <laughs> Our cat is actually named Buffy after the show. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I would not, I mean, see, this is one of those things where I'm like, you know, my, my idea of like who you are keeps getting finer and finer tuned mm -hmm. but if you'd given me a list of shows i probably wouldn't have picked that one to tell you the truth you gotta watch it it's just such a good show okay all right i i definitely will and there's multiple seasons right so it's like seven one i can really get into and yep. at this point it must seem kind of retro yeah yeah yeah, yeah. very Is it like 15 or 20 years old more than yep. that yeah it's from the 90s from the 90s i think wow um, thousands i don't know Somewhere in there. Okay, you are, I think you're a prime person for this question. Should Pluto still be a planet? No. It's too that, small. Okay. I, I've yeah. thought a lot about it. There's other, there's <laughs> other planetary bodies out beyond Pluto that could be planets as well, but they're just too small. You have and to draw the line somewhere. You gotta draw the line somewhere. And I'm sorry, Pluto, but you gotta go. Ooh. We have some big Pluto fans at my house and yeah. it was really like a, a devastating blow when that happened. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. I can see that. I can see yeah. that. Well, and you kind of become fond of it. It's like that little planet out there. It's where you've anchored your consciousness to somehow in terms of our neighborhood. The you know, exterior like, of our solar system, yeah. Yeah. Um, are you, do you have any irrational fears? Oh. I don't think I have any phobias, rational fears. I, I can't come up with anything. That's okay. Boring, but I can't come up with anything. I don't, I don't know that I do. Let me think. I mean, I, I have some, I have some, rational fears like ice fishing i don't want to fall through the ice and that kind of stuff but no i don't think anything irrational have you ever fallen through i've come close i've gone up to like my thigh before but never all the way in do you do you catch fish and then 
keep them and eat them? Um, my wife's not such a big fish eater, so I tend to either leave them with whoever I'm fishing with or let them go. Uh-huh. I'll, bring, I'll bring some home every now and then just for myself. But What do you um, end up catching? Uh, I trout fish. I fish for crappie, the northerns. I really love fishing for northern pike. Um, walleyes, sunfish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's amazing that they're all just out there. They are. Underneath doing their thing, looking for food. And I don't catch a lot of fish, but that's not really my goal. My goal is to really get out and use hopefully with you know with a friend or with a group of people or with my family with my dad mm-hmm. or something like that it's more it's more it's more about the event than it is about catching fish i think yeah i mean maybe fishing is kind of like that too in general like a lot of things yeah. where you're kind of hanging out and just being there yep just yeah. being present okay i have um i have one more question for you and then if there's anything that you would especially, well, actually, why don't we do this first? Is there anything that you, so this is kind of the second to last question, anything that you wish the world knew more about? Like anything you, you would recommend to people, anything like that you just, like if you had your little soapbox, you could let everybody know about? I would, I would want especially about two thirds of our country, get them to understand socialism better. Mm-hmm. I'm with our family spent a year living in Sweden when our girls were young and um, living in a social democracy really gave me something to contrast with our current capitalistic um, oligarchy that we've got going on here. Could, are there, could you say a couple of things now that would help people understand? Like well, I think it really is. Yeah, I think this socialism is more about the people. It's more, it's, it's less about the individual and more about the people. And there's good things and bad things about that. Um, but one of the good things about it is that people like Jeff Bezos, well, it would actually pay their taxes mm-hmm. in a socialist society. And those those taxes, the, that taxes on his billions and billions of dollars that he doesn't need would go to help other people, you know, you, you, that's the whole pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's impossible to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. If you had straps on your boots, you couldn't pick yourself up. Mm-hmm. And that's how it originally was used. And it's got, it's got switched around now to, to saying, you know, that, that, you know, if only you were a harder worker or more dedicated or whatever, you'd be successful. Um, you, you just, some people just need help getting on their feet and I'm all about that Mm -hmm. it's interesting I don't know if you've if you've like been vaccinated but I found for myself the whole process of just like it actually kind of moved me to tears at the center that I went to because I felt like the whole thing was like like nobody asked me for my insurance card, nobody like, and there was just this sense of like, show up and get your shot and do this thing that's going to be good for all of us. And I, I mean, I have really strong opinions about this and I realize that not everybody agrees, but I just think there, like, I think when 
people hear the term socialism. I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it's not a complete term and it's not accurate. Like it's, it's, it's not something that you can just say it is this thing. It really right. is kind of an attitude about how we all live together and what's going to be important to all of us. And, um, yeah, frustrating. Yeah. 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 Do you have, I mean, this might be hard to think of, but just off the top of your head and you can always let me know later if you want to, and I can put it in show notes, but is there like any kind of like book or publication or, or anything like that, that, that you feel does a good job explaining, like helping people understand what you would want them to understand more of? Yeah, not that I've read. I don't okay. think I've read one. I just, you know, we just lived it for a year. Um, yeah and I haven't read much about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, it's funny to hear it as a, it, it, it feels to me like places where it has not played out well has less to do with the system than other things about human nature that are actually playing out in our country right now. And that um, it's like people who use it as a scary, kind of bugaboo are actually they know they're not using it correctly communism as soon as you say socialism they think soviet communism right and we're all gonna have to you know give, give all our stuff away until we're all at the same place and stand in bread lines and right yeah all right well we'll be putting that one up on a billboard for you good, good. <laughs> let's do that okay the last question I don't know, as a naturalist, you might not appreciate this question, but maybe you actually especially will. Like you might not, again, kind of like the, if you go to a gathering and you're looking for people, you might not buy the premise. So you are, um, if you don't like this one, you can say spin the wheel and I'll come up with another one for you. Okay. Okay, but it is only hypothetical. Okay, a truck pulls up in front of your house and uh, an elephant is delivered to your house and you are not allowed to sell it or give it away, what do you do with the elephant? Um, I hope it can stand 40 below zero because I don't have a heated space for it. Uh, we used to have a horse and a couple of goats, so I, we've had livestock in the past, um, but I would have to definitely have to build a bigger fence. I'd have okay. to build a bigger fence. And uh, there you go, now that you've got some charismatic macroflora for yourself indeed yeah are you drawn to elephants at all no, actually not no i'm i'm a very domestic kind of guy not domesticated but domestic kind of guy and as a naturalist i'm i'm more i'm way more interested in what's living around me mm -hmm. or what is around me wherever i'm at mm -hmm. um my wife and i just recently took a trip to big ben i got to see things like wild tarantulas and barbary sheep uh -huh. and um some bright red snake that i can't remember the name of anymore uh -huh. amazing stuff cacti and yucca and stuff like that but i get excited about the stuff that i'm around and if i was to ever be fortunate enough to get to africa i might be more into elephants just because i'd, I'd see them and be near them but i never yeah. had it's really funny because the way that that question usually plays out is like almost just like a like a creative thinking question but 
but it's really interesting how you know one of the things that Jocelyn said was like that she might have been more passionate about like science and the outdoor world and I think your sense of respect and reverence for that kind of stuff like like as soon, I was like ooh, I'm not sure that's a tasteful question do you know what I mean like yeah 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 yeah, yeah so um well, Kurt, I really appreciate you doing this. I hope that um, now I'm going to get invited to your family holidays and Jocelyn and I will have to fight over who gets to sit next to you. And We get stragglers in all the time. With our okay, I would be so happy to, to be a straggler. So, um, all right. Well, nice to have made a new friend. Nice to meet you. And uh, maybe the next time I'm in Duluth, which I'm hoping will be soon, we'll, we'll be able to like, Give each other a high five in person. Make that happen. All right. Okay. Thanks, Kurt. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. Well, if nothing else, and there was definitely something else, but if nothing else, you learned that dragonfly nymphs breathe out of their butt. Such an exciting fact. That is going to come in handy. In fact, it already has. I've already wowed my family with that information. All right, hopefully you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Again, if you would like to nominate anyone, including your sweet self, please visit ellenolsonbrown.com. And there is a link and just a little form to fill out. And while you're there, if you are not already receiving my newsletter, there's also a place where you can sign up for a newsletter that I send out just a couple of times a month. Um, it will kind of keep you up to date on the various projects that I'm involved in. Okay, we're back to uh, normal tomorrow, just regular podcasts. And then keep your eye out for episode 20. There will be another shiny person interview. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Bye.